<laughs> Good morning. <laughs> I'm Grant Roscoviak, and I'm your pastor. <laughs> um, oh, bear with me. I am a little kind of, I got in this morning at one o'clock from Calgary. Uh, I went on vacation with my family. It was amazing, but all our flights were canceled yesterday, and we finally got in at one o'clock so I could be here. Super excited about that, but with a three-month-old and a two-year-old, it's a little hectic waking up at three in the morning in Canada and then being in Savannah where it's hot and muggy at one in the morning. So super excited, running on adrenaline and the Holy Spirit, and just so excited to be here with you guys. Um, as I said, I'm Grant Roscoviak. Um, it's so funny because everyone always like, oh, this is kind of a, a dating relationship between me and you guys. But in reality, it's not. It's an arranged marriage. Like, you've got me. <laughs> like, that's it. I'm here. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I wasn't born in Savannah. I was actually born in Maine. It's a little known fact about me, but moved here when I was around two years old. Uh, my whole family lives here. My mom and dad, they're here. Uh, my brother um, and my sister-in-law and my sister and brother-in-law, they all live here like 10 minutes away, and it's just super awesome. So if you've ever seen the last name that's like, rah, 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 then that's my family, and we live here, um, work in all different fields from medical um, to, to um protecting the streets and teaching and all those different things. So if you see the long name that you can't pronounce, it's probably my family. So super excited to be here. So glad that we get to come on, on this day, the last day that we're here in the Lucas. We're moving uh, to the Savannah Theater. So you get a new pastor, new name, new place. I just said, hey, let's just do it all at once. Why not? Everyone loves change. Everyone loves to change things. So let's just keep building on it. So I'm actually thinking about changing something else. I haven't figured out what that will be yet, but I will tell you next week what we're changing, just so you guys feel more comfortable and you're aware and you don't know where to park and all those things. So we're changing our name uh, to uh, Compassion Christian Downtown, which I think is super applicable for our hearts, for our lives, for our city. Um, but the idea of compassion is so misconstrued in a lot of different ways. So I'm going to give us a simple working definition of uh, compassion, which it means to suffer with. It's actually a Latin word, and it means to suffer with. A lot of us don't think of compassion in that way. We think of it more of as a sympathy word. Oh, I had compassion on this person, or I feel bad for this person. But what I want us to program our hearts and our minds to is rather to be a, a chained with, the suffering with, more of an empathy rather than a sympathy. So many times we see something and we just feel bad about it. We're like, oh man, the, the, the war, or, or man, just a refugee crisis, or, or, or whatever, politics, whatever, fill in the blank. And we're, oh man, that commercial, man, I, oh, if only I had 94 cents, I should give it to the people. Are they really going to use it for what I think they're going to use it? Ah, I'm not going to give anything. Whatever. But that's our hearts and that's our minds and that's what we think compassion is. And if we're going to change the name of our church and we're going to change our identity to more align with who Christ called us to be, to be compassionate, then we need to understand what that means. And so just for you A type, I'm going to tell you where we're going so we can get there. But the point of the message today is that compassion leads to evangelism. 
That this idea that suffering with people actually leads to the opening of the preaching and teaching of the gospel. So we're going to be in Matthew 9. 9 verse 35 through 38. You can turn there now, but we're not going to read there for a little bit. Because I really want us to get the idea of who we are and what we're talking about down and clear first. Actually, no, let's read it. It's okay, we can talk back and forth. I'm going to be here until they fire me, so you guys can, we can talk back and forth. So, uh, starting in verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news or the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Super simple scripture, simple text. Okay, go evangelize. Yay, we're done. There's free coffee in the lobby. That's kind of the idea that we get when we read this scripture, because it is extremely simple, but the implications are horrifying. How hard is it to tell somebody the truth about Jesus Christ? Me, even as your pastor, struggled with this. was an airport yesterday for months. I don't know. But a guy came up to me, and, and he sat next to me, started talking to me. And I was holding uh, Peter, my, my three-month-old, and he offered me some Reese's. I was very grateful. I told him I was watching my figure, so I didn't accept them. And he continued, and I was like, is this an opportunity that I'm having or I'm missing that I need to, to speak the truth of the gospel? Now, I, wanna, I want you guys to understand this before we go in further, is that the gospel is not just for Christian, or for non-believers, or people who don't know Jesus. It's not this, oh, you're, you're one and done kind of thing. Tim Keller says it's not the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A to Z. So even in that moment when I'm processing, thinking, even if this person is a believer in Christ, I still have an opportunity to encourage and empower somebody in the truth of who Jesus is. And it's the same reality for all of us. But, to get context of what this story is, because we see that Jesus has compassion. If we just read this out of context, it's kind of like a jumbled, oh, Jesus went here and here. Lame people were walking, blind people were seeing, you know, the same old, same old, people walking on water, whatever, fine. You know, normal day. That's kind of how we read it. But to understand that Jesus is actually suffering with the people, I want to give you the context of what has actually just happened. So Jesus just preached the longest sermon he's ever preached, which is Sermon on the Mount. This is in Matthew 5. Think of Matthew 5 through where we are at 9 as like the series of like three or four days. Because that's actually how it lays itself out. It said, day one, he went here. Day two, he went here. You, you read it. It's in, it's in the book. So he goes and preaches the longest sermon ever. And then he comes down from the mountain. I don't know how many people were listening to the Sermon on the Mount, but I'm assuming a lot. Then he comes down and he heals a leper. Then he heals the centurion's daughter. Then he helps, heals Peter's mother-in-law while casting out two demon-possessed people, or more. It says many. Then another crowd comes, and then he goes across the lake. And while he's going across the lake to take a break from the crowd, a tempest or storm comes. And he wakes up and he calms that storm. And then when he gets to the other side, there's two more men filled with demons who no one will even walk by because they're so just crazy. 
So then he casts those demons out, and then he continues on. Then the whole town comes out. It actually says the city, which is bigger than a town, I'm assuming, comes out, and they actually tell him to go away. So Jesus is healing these people, going on and going. Then he gets back on the boat and then goes to another place, gets off and heals the paralyzed man. Then he calls the tax collector Matthew and he has dinner with him and he sits with him and the religious in the town are mocking and threatening Jesus with why are you doing this? Then one of John's disciples, Jesus' cousin, comes and asks a question. You know the question that, is not, that, that you ask that doesn't really need a response like, why are you wearing those jeans? That's not, you're not wondering why I'm wearing these jeans. And they ask, the, the disciple says, hey, why are your disciples not fasting? It's not like, help me understand. It's rather, hey, they need to be fasting. Jesus feeling betrayed even by one of his cousin's disciples. Then he brings a girl back from the dead and heals a woman that's been bleeding for 12 years. And finally, he heals a man who's been mute and demon-possessed. And the town religious say, the only reason that you could do this is because you're a, a devil yourself. And then we get to verse 35. Jesus continues to do the list of things that you've already seen, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw another crowd, he had compassion on them. He suffered with them. When we read that and we see that, we just think, oh, yeah, Jesus being Jesus. But, man, I was just on a flight forever, and I'm exhausted. I didn't heal anyone. I didn't even talk to anyone. And Jesus being fully man and fully God, we have to understand in his humanity, he had to be tired. And he had to choose to suffer in that moment with these people. Jesus continues on to teach his disciples. And you see what happens is that this compassion that Jesus has for healing and teaching and loving the sick and the broken, it leads to evangelism. Now, if we need to understand what evangelism is, I want us all to be on the same page. Now, evangelism is teaching or heralding, or proclaiming, or preaching the gospel, the good news, the message from God that leads to salvation with the aim, the hope, the desire, the purpose to convince somebody to fall in love with Jesus Christ, to turn away from looking at themselves. A simple way to put this, and if you want to write this down, there's lots of blanks. Evangelism is teaching people the gospel with the aim to persuade. Simply put, evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. So what is the gospel? So, so many times in our society, we hear gospel, Christianity, good news, and we get this weird perspective. It's like, come join our alien society. And here's the couple things that you're going to see. Well, you're going to feel a lot worse about yourself. You won't be able to really change anything. And you'll have to attend a lot of meetings, you know. That's kind of what we portray to the world is not good news. 
It's this idea that you got to come join our, our weird society. What Jesus is calling, He's saying, come home. Come home, humanity. Come home and be who I've called you and made you to be. This is the reality. You are not whole. You are not in the purpose and way that you were designed. God has called you to come home. Not to come join a, a social club or, or a thing that, something that makes you feel guilty or bad about who you are, but rather to come and be more human. The way that God designed us to be. We're going to talk more about that later this month, of what it actually means to be in community. You see, the gospel answers four big questions. Who is God? Why are we in such a mess? What did Christ do or what did Jesus do? And how do we get back to God? Those are the four questions that you need to answer with the gospel, and I'm going to help you with that. I will give you a, a simple illustration in a little while that was actually how I became a believer in Christ, but for now I just kind of want to unpack it. So who is God? A.W. Tozer says, what you think about God, or what you think about when you think about God, is really what you think. Something like that. It's close enough. I don't know. And so who is God? This is who we define God as, as believers in Christ. Because a lot of people, when you say God, or when you say this is how God is, it's a lot of different realities and perspectives. We believe that God is, is loving, kind, caring, sovereign, all-powerful, loving, compassionate. He's also full of righteous wrath. He's also just. It was interesting, I was watching a movie on the plane and uh, one of the evil villains, uh, Superman versus Batman, Lex Luthor, he says, he says either God is all-powerful and not good or he's all-good and not powerful. And a lot of us have that same perspective. But I want to encourage you with this, that God is all-powerful, all-good, and that's where we see justice and mercy meet, and it meets at the cross. So why are we in this mess? Everyone in here knows that there's something not right in this world. I'll give you a simple example I used uh, many times before. Is like Think of a courtroom, like any courtroom, and somebody's stolen something, or, or they're on for murder, or whatever. No one ever comes out. The, not the defendant, but the other one. They never come out saying, oh, 30 years? That's exactly what I thought he would get. Perfect. I'm glad he got 30 years. Uh, not too harsh, not too lenient. They always want more. Think about in your life. Somebody cuts you off. Think about somebody. Somebody wrongs you in some way. They deserve justice. And it's never enough. It's never enough because that's how our hearts and, and were created. We're created in the image of God to understand justice. The problem is we never point it back on ourselves. God demands justice. And this is where Jesus comes in. So what did Christ do? 
Jesus, fully God, fully man, will unpack that over the next couple years of what it really means to understand the God-man, Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man, comes perfect substitute to take the justice that we deserve. He pays the penalty. The penalty that we demand of others, he pays. So what do we have to do? And this is where the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, gets so bloated. Everyone thinks that we've got to do something. We've got to be compassionate. We've got to go. We've got to help. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. You have to do nothing. Except for repent and recognize that you are not the Savior. But rather, Jesus is. That God saves you. You save no one, including yourself. There is a broken relationship between God and man, and it needs to be reconciled, and there's nothing we can do to reconcile it. But Jesus reconciled on the cross. That's the good news. That's why it's for believers and people who don't know Jesus. Believers understand you don't have to do anything. Except for fall more and more in love with Jesus, then it will come. Because Christ did, you can go and do. For those of you who don't know Christ, man, this is an opportunity to hear for the first time the good news is you can't save yourself. I know you've tried. You've used anesthetizing behaviors to, to just numb the pain in your life, but the only person that can actually heal you is Christ. So I want us to look and unpack that definition we looked at. Evangelism is teaching the, the gospel, which we just went through, with the aim to persuade. Now, aiming is precise, and I want you to understand about what it means when we aim. I'm going to give you an example to help you un understand this, because so many times we shoot at the wrong targets. So I, I went to college, uh, I went to Wheaton College, I played football there, um, and one of my roommates, love him, he just texted me, he got married. He got married to somebody who doesn't believe in Christ, and we, we knew this, we worked through this with him, and uh, I love him, I love their family. Um, and it's a struggle. And some of the guys on our football team, some of his friends, refused to go to the wedding. Because of the, the, whatever, unevenly yoked or theological disagreements. The problem is we as believers in Christ, we aim at the wrong thing. We aim at behavior modification or, or to prove a theological point when rather Jesus just says, you know, go. Go with the hope and the aim to persuade them that Jesus Christ loves them and he redeems. Because so many times in our culture and our lives, we make decisions and we aim at the wrong thing. And we decide not to go to that wedding. We decide not to go to that family's event we decide not to go to that thing because we're aiming at the wrong thing where we should be aiming at telling them about who Jesus is and can actually solve the problem so many times we aim too small when we really need to aim at bigger things which is them understanding and knowing who Jesus Christ is also we need to understand that evangelism doesn't have to be a lonely thing. Even when everything that I was taught in college, everything that we kind of preach and teach now, is that evangelism is a singular event. You need to go tell her about Jesus. 
You need to go tell him about Jesus. Good luck. Take your lumps. Hopefully have the courage to do it, but that's ridiculous. Evangelism can happen in community, and I'm going to show you how. It also gives you some reasons why it should. One, we can hold each other accountable. We can strengthen our mutual resolve. We can learn from one another. We can rejoice together in successes, and we can cry in our failures. We can bond through shared experiences in intense situations. How hard is it to build up the courage or the boldness to go and to talk to somebody about something that's so harsh, but so needed? I don't know if you've ever been to a doctor's appointment or, or something. And I hate to go. I hate to go anywhere alone, honestly. That's just my personality. I mean, I go to the grocery store. I call Jeff to see if he'll go with me. <laughs> it's a true story. It'd be like midnight. I'm like, hey, you want to go to the grocery store? Um, because it's, it's better to do stuff, it's better to do life together. And if the most important thing is teaching and sharing the gospel of truth, why are we doing it alone? Not saying that personal evangelism isn't important, and I'm going to show you how to do that, but why not do it together? And understand this, you don't save anyone. Jesus does. Even Paul says, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God's the only one that can grow. The pressure is off of you. You do not decide, I do not decide if anyone goes to heaven or hell. So be free in that. But I want to give you a simple instruction on how, how to do this. This is actually how I became a believer in Christ. So I was uh, 16 years old. Um, I went to youth group, somebody invited me to youth group, and then um, they drove me home and they shared this simple analogy. I, I wish I had a, a board, I left it in my trunk, um, but I can do it with my hands, it'll be cool. So, so think of it this way, there's a cliff, L, and there's you standing there, and then there's a gap, there's another cliff, and God's standing there. Sometimes people ask, um, where do you feel like you are in your relationship to God? Some people put maybe in the middle of the chasm or right at the edge or wherever. You can ask that if you want to. Kind of gauges their spiritual temperature. Maybe they say, ah, man, I don't care about that. And that's okay. Then, you know, love them in Christ and move on. It's okay. Try again later. No pressure. But this might open the door for some, some, some conversation that you can have. And you say, well, I'm on the edge right here. Well, you see there's this big gap that separates you and God. Do you, you know why that is? And you can go into the talk about sin. The world's messed up, isn't it? Is there anything in your life that, you know, is a messed up broken relationship? Oh, yeah, you know. I, I haven't really talked to my parents in a long time. Oh, let's talk about that. However you can enter into that conversation. You say, well, I want to tell you there's a bridge. Because you see, there's no way to cross this gap on your own, but there's somebody who made a bridge, and that's Jesus Christ. And this bridge reconnects you to God. And I know it's, it's crazy because it's, it, it just seems so unreal, but Jesus, he's the only one that can solve this problem. There, gospel. Who God is, what the problem is, what Jesus did, and what they have to do. To cross this bridge, all you have to do is cross it. Believe and trust in Jesus Christ. 
I, I heard this said that I would rather have all of us preach and teach the gospel poorly than have the most experienced theologians wait until they could articulate it perfectly. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is the one that saves, not you. But why don't we have those conversations? Now, why is this important? I'm going to tell you why it's important. Because everyone you meet is on one of two paths. Now, some think there's eight paths. Some think there's ten paths. Some think there's levels. Some think there's all these different things. There's two paths. What I believe is a believer in Jesus Christ, and what if, if you believe in Jesus Christ, there's two paths. There's one to eternal salvation and glory, and there's one to eternal judgment. That's it. Two paths. And every single person you meet, parents, children, friends, workers, family, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, they're on one of two paths. One where they're redeemed by Jesus Christ or one where they're, they're waiting to be redeemed by Jesus Christ. So understand that everyone that you meet is on one of these two paths and telling them about Jesus and encouraging them that Jesus will do good to both. That's reason number one. Reason number two is because God is a God of multiplication, not of addition. Anybody good at math in here? If you're scared to raise your hand. Are you good at math? You good at math? Okay, she's good at math. All right, you can check the numbers on this. And if, she, if I'm lying, then she'll tell everyone I'm lying. All right, so um, Sanford Stadium in Athens, you know, Bulldogs, Georgia, yay. Um, seats 92,746 people, okay? You can, you can, she's not doing the math. Okay, good. If I went there this weekend and filled the stadium out, and I preached the gospel, Jesus died for you, he loves you, you trust in him and everything's going to be great. And every single one of them, 92,746 people, came to Christ. And that's it. And I did that every Sunday. Every Sunday. Jesus loves you, Jesus. Man, that's a good Sunday, isn't it? <laughs> 92,000 people come to Christ. Come. Every Sunday. So it's 52 times a year that happens. There's 7.4 billion people in this world. Do you know how long it would take me? To tell everyone about Jesus and to reach the world for Christ? 1,500 years. It's like 1482 or something like that. But 1,500 years. 1,500 years of a full stadium. 92,746 people coming to Christ every weekend. Now let me tell you this. Since I'm already picking on this young lady... If these three people right here, nope, cancel it. If you by yourself, if you by yourself spent one year telling three people about Jesus, that's it. Three people about Jesus. You can do the math on this. And then every year after that, not every Sunday, every year. So the first year, there's four people that know Jesus. Then those three, four people, they tell three people. Every year you tell three people about Jesus. You know how long it would take for the whole world, 7.4 billion people to know Jesus Christ? 22 years. So why is this important? It's not about me. <laughs> There's not 92,746 people in this room. And if I preach, not, probably not come to Christ. Like, it's about you. 
We need to be a church and a culture of evangelism. That's the problem. The seats are empty, not because of music or preaching or any of those things. It's because we don't have a culture where we tell people about Jesus. We don't look for opportunities to share the gospel. Three people in a year, one of you, 22 years from now, if that worked, everyone would know Jesus. Imagine if 10% in this room told one person a year about Jesus. And hear me, I don't care if this room is full or not. I just want people to know Jesus, and I know that you want your friends and family to know Jesus too, because if not, why are you here? I'm not going to give you good advice. <laughs> I'm not going to give you ideas on how to fix your marriage or broken relationships. I'm going to tell you about Jesus, the only person that can do any of that stuff. Because I don't know, but I know the one who can. So I want to challenge you with two things. Two things. One is simple and one is simpler. Number one, I want to challenge you to pray this week. If you don't know how to pray, honestly, you just throw Hail Marys up. Say, Lord, just help me. Honestly, you could just say, Lord, help me. I want you to pray that God will give you an opportunity to tell somebody, one person this week, just to have a conversation about Jesus. Not a conversion, not a miracle story. I don't need you to heal the lame or, or diseases. If you do that, great. But I want you just to pray that God will give you an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. And part second part of that is I want you to pray that you have boldness to take that opportunity. Because a lot of you, a lot of us, including myself, we have opportunities that we miss because we just ignore it or we rationalize it out. Well, I got I to gotta catch the next flight. Oh, I mean, I, I got to get the kids. I got a meeting. Don't miss an opportunity that God has set up with you and his people. And I pray that you have boldness to do that. The next thing is this. And I know this is a no-no a, a in the church world, but it's okay because I can do whatever I want. So pull out your phones. If you don't have a phone, it's okay. Borrow somebody's. I don't know. Pull out your phone. There's going to be a, a number on the screen. Uh, it's 313131. I want you to text Compassion Downtown to this, 313131. And you'll get a link back. And I'm going to steal all your bank accounts. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I just thought that. It just came out. I'm sorry. Um, and it's going to have a link that's going to have a list of 20 plus things that you can do to show compassion. It, from helping somebody with their groceries to um, housing uh, a, a, a student or, or whatever. Read through the list and pick something that tugs at your heart. Do not pick something just because I'm telling you to pick something. Pick something that really triggers in your heart that you want to do. And there's a huge list of these things. And I want you to come back next week and I want you to share Share with me, share, share with each other. Not, this isn't a pat on the back thing. I'm not asking you to do something so we can all, yay, us. I'm asking you to suffer with the people of Savannah. I'm asking you to suffer with your, your friends and family. I'm asking you to suffer 
so that Christ will be glorified. That's the end goal. So if you need to take a baby step where you just grab somebody's grocery cart and you put it back for them, great. I was there if I'm not still there now. Taking baby steps every step of the way, but every step is closer and closer to Jesus. So please don't hear me say and understand this is something where we pat ourselves on the back. This is an opportunity for us to create a culture of evangelism, a culture of compassion. We're a compassion Christian downtown. Next week we're moving to Savannah Theater. And my prayers and my hope that it's packed because so many of you had an opportunity to point and aim and persuade people with the truth of who Jesus is. But you can't do that if you don't know him. And you can't do that if you don't understand and believe truly who he is. The problem is, so many times we don't believe that there's power in the gospel anymore. We've gotten so nominal in our belief that we don't believe that any of this is going to work. So we got to do a gimmick, we got to do a sign, we got to do something to bring people in. The reality is, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. So my hope and my prayer is that, man, that God gives you the boldness and people's lives are radically changed because you decided to be obedient to God and say, hey, yeah, I want to tell you about Jesus because what he's done to me. That's my hope for this church, for our church, is that we become so entrenched in who Jesus is that we're praying together, we're eating together, we're teaching together, we're heralding the gospel together, we're living life together because, man, it's, it's a tough world. And we need each other. And man, it's a tough world and I, I know Jesus Christ and I love Jesus Christ. I knew what it was like before I knew Jesus Christ too and man, it was a lot tougher. So my hope and my prayer is that we become compassion Christian downtown. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the opportunity to come and just to speak, to lead and to love. Lord, I thank you for this community of believers who's come faithfully for, for years and years. Lord, I also pray for those who are new, Lord, that they can feel like they're coming home rather than coming to something, but rather coming to be and learn who you are. Lord, I, I just thank you for, for everything that you're doing in the midst of this church, Lord, even through the transition. Lord, we are going to be faithful and trust that your promises are true. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.